it, just imagine what it would be like to live among a shame-free people. Even in the church, what would it look like to be just everybody, totally transparent, totally happy with them, who they are, who God created them to be? That really is quite an amazing thought. Well, following on from the story of Adam and Eve, they walked in the garden, they enjoyed intimacy with their maker. I dare say they had lots of fun with him because I'm sure God has got lots of fun. Naming all the animals, they enjoyed his company, they walked and talked with him, they loved each other, they adored each other. But then they had the encounter with the serpent. And then moving on to Genesis 2 verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. After they'd taken of the tree that they'd been forbidden to even touch, let alone eat, they became instantly aware that something was different. They realized they were naked, so what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together to try and cover themselves. But you know, the problem with fig leaves is that they wither and die, and you'll have to do it again the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And that's often what happens when we try and cover our shame. And there's all sorts of ways we subconsciously try to cover our shame. Sin made them acutely aware that there was something was wrong. And then from that shame came fear. Adam and Eve were separated from God's protection. They were afraid of the very one that they'd enjoyed openness and friendship and fun with. Well, I'm just going to give you a bit of my personal experience and um, to help you with this story where I've come from. I grew up in a very normal Christian home. Uh, you know, raised in a bit of a brethren background, so not freedom in the spirit. But I, I knew my parents loved me. They didn't necessarily show me masses of affection. But they would have been, you know, I knew they loved us. And so but my, uh, my sister used to say to me, Linda, you know what? We come from a very shame-based family. And I just wrote it off. I said, do we? Didn't really give it any thought whatsoever. But my, my mother, particularly, is a fiercely uh, driven lady and um, wanted the best for all of us, but uh, very, very strong opinions that she said that she didn't necessarily want us to agree with them, but you felt pretty bad if you didn't agree with them. And she was very, very driven. It mattered to her what we looked like, how we came across to everybody else. And my father was, um, well, nothing was ever quite good enough. He or The glass was usually half empty rather than half full. And even if I'd got, uh, you know, A plus in an exam, why wasn't it A plus plus? Or... Well, how did Margaret Tester do in hers? You know, she was the one that always got the top of the class. And so, what, and my dad was a bit of an artist, and if I brought a painting to him that I thought was absolutely great, he'd say, oh, what a shame you didn't just do this. So you never, ever, ever quite felt you made the grade. And um, so because of my mum was like that, she was very performance-orientated. So I grew up thinking... People will only value me for what I do and if I can get it right. But it was 
it was very subconscious. I didn't grow up thinking, ooh, you know, this. It just was life as normal. But I had an added uh, sort of problem, or what do you call it, because I'm an identical twin. And um, we were always, always, I felt we were always, always compared. And I always felt I was compared negatively to my sister Stella. And I always felt that Stella was the favourite, that she fitted the bill, really, with mum and dad more than, particularly mum, more than I did. And um, so that's how I grew up in that sort of that sort of environment, never really meeting my dad's approval, always feeling that I hadn't quite done enough for mum or I wasn't. It's little things, like even long after we were married, it's, if I knew my mum was coming, I'd really clean the house. I mean, really clean the house. But you know what? She'd always find the one cobweb that you didn't. And it's like she'd point it out to me. And I, I might make a, make a, a joke out of it and say, oh, no, Mum, that's a feature. We spray it gold at Christmas or something like that. But it's, that really was another way of me covering up, oh, no, I've missed it again. I haven't quite made the grade. And so um, that's really how I grew up. But shame is much more profound than I realised. And it can have a catastrophic effect on our lives and our relationships. And it can make you want to go and hide. You learn to cover up whole areas of your life. It's a painful emotion that makes you think something is wrong with you. But it's very different from guilt or conviction. You know where something's wrong if you're guilty or you're convicted. You can deal with it, repent, forgive, and move on, etc., etc. But the difference between guilt and shame is guilt says, I've done wrong, whereas shame would say, I am wrong, I'm flawed, there's something wrong with me. And it's like a shadow, a horrible settling over your heart that makes you think that way. Another way to describe it is it's like a weight that comes down, like a blanket over your heart. And it's really, really not easy to figure it all out. It's not something definite. It's just so subconscious. But I, I was, you know, as I say, my sister told me we came from a shame-based family. I didn't give it any thought. But then when I heard some teaching on it and saw, saw some of the fruits, I realized I could tick many boxes, most of the boxes, in fact. Well, knowing that shame is a result of sin done to you, or your own sin, let's look at the root of shame. It's, I, I believe the root of shame is, comes from some form of abandonment or rejection. In fact, you know what, I would be bold to say that, suggest that the bottom line of most painful experiences is from some expression of abandonment or other. When you don't feel valued, when you've yearned to be valued, where you've been misunderstood in important matters, or where you've been discarded, where you've not had expression expressed and you've not been made to feel worth much, left alone, needed to be treasured. Divorce can do that to you. Premature death, adoption, rejection in friendships or failing to get promotion in the job you were going for. There's many different areas, but they usually link to some form of abandonment. Well, knowing that, and knowing that I could tick many boxes, which I will go through the fruits of it in a minute, I had to go back and ask the Holy Spirit, where did mine come from? Where's the root of mine? As I say, I'm one of five children in a fairly, you know, normal Christian environment. And... Um, 
and I really did have to ask the Holy Spirit where it came from. And the very first thing that came from, and the Holy Spirit didn't tell me this, I knew of this experience, but he brought it back to me. Um, my sister and I were born at home, and um, the, f- the first night of, uh, after we were born, Stella suffered with bad circulation, and she was blue, and, and um, my mum and dad had her in bed with them. And God took me back to that experience when I was in the car. I used to think, I thought, thought, God, this is a little bit far-fetched, but it's what he was showing me. But he took me back and for where I was utterly, utterly alone in the cot. I had never been alone. For nine months, I'd been with my sister. And here I was, utterly alone in this cot. And she's with mum and dad. That's probably where I always thought she was the favourite. But I'm... That was it. And the other thing that happened was later on in life, our school didn't have a sixth form and Stella left a year earlier than I did to do um, a two-year pre-nursing course at a technical college um, because it did better subjects for what she wanted to do. I didn't do too brightly in my O-levels as they were in those days. And um, I then went to the same college to retake some of my O-levels. And my mother said, you probably don't get me wrong, she had good cause to say it, but it's still another thing to say. We would never have trusted Linda to have gone to the college without Stella being there to keep an eye on her, I suppose, really. And I thought, yeah, I remember her saying that so strongly, and it was, yep, she doesn't trust me. You know, and I wasn't the paragon of virtue. Really, I wasn't. I deserved a lot of it. And then... Another thing that came to me, and this is really a testimony of how I can stand up now and speak, is when I was round about 12, I remember it because I know what house we were living in and where we moved around, um, I used to get my words a bit muddled up and confused and it mattered, to, as I say, to my mum and dad that we spoke well and we looked good and all the rest of it. And my father said, open your mouth, Linda, and you let yourself down. And I remember in my lovely, non-compliant way, stating, it's like an inner vow, which no doubt you've dealt on your encounter weekends, or certainly was a very inner determination then. Right, suit yourself, then I went out of my mouth. And I genuinely couldn't have done this if I hadn't have um, worked through that issue, because it wasn't that I couldn't have individual conversations, it wasn't that I couldn't talk to children, I was a school teacher, I could do, do all of that, but it, I could never have done this. Never. It was, and I remember we worked on the farm and it was um, a project for dysfunctional people and people who needed help. And we'd taken some of the guys to Ireland we were with Paul White from Weymouth and we were um, doing some praying there. And then we came back and we, in one of our morning meetings at the farm, I remember Clive saying, right, in a minute we're going to ask Linda and Dave or some, whoever the other one was, to share about their experience in Ireland. It's like sheer panic took me over. And it's like I didn't have a sane thought about Ireland. Did I go to Ireland? Whatever did we do in Ireland? It was like, seriously. And I mean, I'd, I'd, go to, I'd go to the bathroom and I'd make sure I was there a long time till the meeting finished. And I'd find any ways. And I remember Clive saying to me, Linda, you can be quite manipulative with your silence. I didn't tell him at the time, but I thought, you haven't a clue. I've got nothing to say. I really genuinely had nothing to say. And um, 
so that's how it was. So the results of shame is that you start to cover up because you feel something is wrong and it's so subtle that you may be totally unaware of it. You may be over-apologetic because you have a subconscious feeling that you shouldn't be there or that you're in the way. You don't have the freedom to truly enjoy life. You dumb down who you truly are because of shame. And we don't need to dumb down who we really are. We are his wonderful, beautiful creation. And we're just as he made us. But the problem is that shame goes to the very core of your identity, of who you really are. What would it look like if God took away all of our shame? Now, I'm, I'm going to give you some fruits of shame. I just want to take you back a minute to where I was talking about my mum. Because I want to tell you the redemptive side of it. Because, I oh know, I'll tell you later on, I think. But, it's, um, but anyway, so here's some of the fruits of shame. As I said earlier, I could tick many of these boxes. So, subconsciously in your mind, see how many you can tick. Number one, you have a deep sense of unworthiness. Something is wrong with me, or I'm flawed. Number two, you feel different to others, like you don't belong, or I'm going to be found out. And you often compare yourself, this is number three, to others in similar areas with negative results. That was totally me which proves to you and confirms the negative feelings and comparison rarely brings encouraging results. And that was just certainly with me and my sister. Not only did other people compare us all the time, but I did too. You often find yourself being over-apologetic for being in the way or the other end of the scale. You have to be right. You are so dogmatic. You're right about everything because if you're wrong, then they're going to find out who you really are. So it could be that. You can't, number five, you can't take criticism, which is a bit like the, you know, the above, because it confirms that you're a disappointment. One of the greatest traps in life is self-rejection. Also, you may have trouble in accepting praise from others. You either reject it or discount it or the compliment or discount the person even giving it to you. Oh, well, they don't know what they're talking about. Or, that was me, that was totally me, and this one was totally me. You replay conversations to spot for negative conclusions, and then you magnify them, which proves your worst suspicion. That was me. You may get your identity from your possessions or from your looks. I don't hear what I'm not saying, but you know those Christmas letters that people give out about all their achievements and all little Johnnies and little so-and-so's achievements and they've always done so well and so fantastic and they're not a flaw in them and and you just think I can't do that but it's like but it's not there's nothing wrong with achievements there's nothing wrong with the Christmas letter and there's nothing wrong with having possessions but if you're but if you're looking to them for your value then it's almost like And if it helps cover up who you really, really are, they're only fig leaves that cover our poverty of not knowing who we really are. And a person who's shame-based often lives in a world of appearances. My mum did. My mum totally did. And to protect his image or feeling of being found out, we can't ignore the reality, but 
we can ignore the reality, but it doesn't go away. We once knew this a guy in Alaska who um, talked non-stop. And I mean, they say women can talk. You needed to meet this guy non-stop, not even for a breath. And it was like he talked at you more than he talked to you. And you used to think, that guy is hiding something. Because if he stopped long enough, somebody might actually ask him a question and he might have to answer it and reveal that he'd actually had a bit of a past. He'd been into prison. We loved him just the same, but he was so covered in shame. And that's one of the fruits he did. He'd non-stop chat. But as I say, nothing wrong with any of those things. Nothing wrong with looking good. Nothing wrong with possessions. Nothing wrong with the Christmas letter. But as long, but if you're not, as long as you're not internally leaning on them, or it's because it's sort of saying, please value me. This was me. This next one was me as well. You always hide or sit at the back, rather than be in the midst of things. I have a wonderful extrovert husband, and my twin sister was extrovert as well, and it's been incredibly easy for me to hide behind my sister. Stella and Andy. He's the upfront one. He's the one that does the talking. I don't need to do that. Nobody needs to see me. I used to say, I don't do upfront. And um, until the Holy Spirit got me. But he was the upfront one. And that was the case with my mum, really, and Stella. She was similar to my mum in nature. And don't get me wrong, I, get, I love my two sisters to bits and my mum. And we get on really, really, really well. But it was like, if ever I went to visit mum, I used to go with Stella. And it was great. Stella and mum, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't have to do any of it. I didn't even have to get to know my mum really that well. Because she did it. And she did it really well. But when I, when we moved to, we've been in Alaska for five years. And when I moved to Alaska, God started talking to me about my relationship with my mum. And getting that restored. And, um, and I'd, so I'd started to deal with the issues. And then we'd been there um, about six or eight, seven months. And my mum phones up and says, oh, we're coming over to see you for three weeks. <gasps> three weeks, Stella, come back. Oh, I, you know, I was dreading it. I was really dreading my mother for three weeks on my own without having Stella to hide behind. Or, well, I don't think Andy would have been that helpful in that case. But, but, um, but you know what? God is so, so gracious. You deal with your issues, and he does this wonderful, wonderful restoration. Do you know, I had a blast with my mum. I got to know my mum. I even love my little mum. You know, she's nearly 86 years old. Is she still driven? Yep. Is she fiercely independent? Yep. She's all of that. Does it matter to her what she looks like? Yes, it does. But you know what? It doesn't hook me anymore. It doesn't get me. It doesn't make me feel because I dealt with my issues. It doesn't matter if she never does. But, you know, I love my little mum to bits. And, you know, God, so God is so faithful in restoring these sort of things. So, and um, where did I get to? Yeah, you always sit at the, back, at the hide or sit at the back. Do you know, withdrawal is a very common reaction to shame. You want to hide if you carry shame of any sort. You want to sort of go off the radar just in case people find out who you are. A shame-based person can become trapped in this withdrawal from others. 
Direct, meaningful or intimate connections with others are very threatening to people who don't feel good about themselves. And that was me too. So, number nine, shame often has secret addictions because it's painful. Shame is painful and you look for comfort or relief from internal pain and emptiness. And then that causes like a vicious circle because you feel ashamed of the addiction and the whole thing just spirals down into worse than ever. And number ten, you have a lack of confidence or true security in who you are with him. You're over-shy or you're over-embarrassed. You don't really know yourself. I didn't really know myself. I didn't. It was really weird, but I didn't really know myself. And these are some of the thoughts that shame-based people often tell themselves. I'm defective, or damaged, or broken, or even I'm a mistake. Or I'm dirty, I'm ugly, I'm impure. Or I'm incompetent just not good enough or useless. I'm unwanted or unloved, unappreciated or uncherished. Or I deserve to be abandoned or left out or forgotten about. Or I'm just weak and feeble. I'm bad or awful, or if it gets really bad, evil. You can even think that. Or I'm nothing, I'm worthless or invisible or I have no voice. I deserve criticism. I deserve condemnation or disapproval. Or I just feel ashamed, embarrassed, humiliated, or dishonoured. People who are deeply shamed, and as I said before, there's lots of different levels of shame, but people who are deeply shamed often have these thoughts regularly. And they're also pretty sure that the others, others agree with them. Their self-evaluation, because, as I said before, they can't accept any praise. And that was, that was totally me. I brush it off. I think they don't really mean it. They're just saying it. But these negative thoughts compound shame. So, how many of you think you might have some shame issues lurking around? Well, this is the good news. God can lift shame from you. There is a pool of shame surrounding God's people. Yep, even in the church. Which can keep us away from a loving father because you feel he's just disappointed in you. you, you, you he wishes you'd done better. Do you know what? We are living in such exciting times. We really, really are. I really do believe there's going to be phenomenal things happening to the church and church growth and do you know what we haven't got time to hide we don't have time to hide he doesn't want us hiding unable to come out and be all that he's called you to be he doesn't because we're covered in shame I don't want that hindering me anymore I don't want shame hindering me what could be but you know what? Today we can renounce that shame that has held us back so long. Is shame included in the atonement? Absolutely. Jesus was born into shame. He had an unmarried mother, born into a stable, humble birth, etc. He carried shame all of his life and then he became shame on the cross. So you and I can live free from it.
completely. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. What do you think that joy was that was set before him? It's you and me. It's us. We are his joy. And in Psalm 34, verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered and delivered me from all of my fears. Fear is a result of shame, which leads to hiding and to control. We can't bear for others to see our flaws. You may just get to know me and realize that I'm not actually worth knowing. So let's give him permission to expose our shame. He can lift it from us. If your fathers did not cherish you or look upon you as treasured, the chances are you've probably grown up with a measure of shame. Don't forget, lots of different measures of shame and some of you would have experienced lots more than others. But I'm sure we've probably all experienced it one way or the other. But you know what? Our wonderful, loving Father has the capacity to bring honour in place of shame. Psalm 34 verse 5 says, Those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. Did you know that he wants to look at your face? Most of us are aware of seeking God's face, but does it ever dawn on you that he actually wants to see your face? He wants to look into your face? Song of Solomon, verse, um, chapter 2, verse 14, in the Amplified Version says, O oh my dove, in the seclusion of the cleft of the solid rock, in the sheltered and secret place of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Most of us feel intimidated to show our real face or personality to anyone, let alone God, because guilt, shame and self-condemnation cause us to want to run, hide or shift the blame. We all wear masks to create impressions to prevent others from knowing who we really are. But what God wants to go past that mask and get to know the real person. Don't forget, he created you. Even when we're running, hiding or shifting the blame, he still wants to get to know you. When God sent his son, he made this kind of intimacy available to us. An intimacy is a process. It's not a one-off experience. It's a process. We go on and on, becoming more intimate with him. Your Heavenly Father wants to get your eye. He wants to look into your face in such a way that shame is lifted off you as you encounter him more and more. You know, it doesn't matter what you've done, what you've got, where you've been, but please, please, please know this. You have a Father in Heaven who wants to look in your face and for you to look into his so that you can become radiant with no shame. How amazing is that? Your Heavenly Father adores you. He wants to lift shame from you. No more hiding. Realize who you are, who he's made you to be. So loved by him. 
no longer having to keep the fig leaves up so that nobody will find you. I'm just going to read you this bit from Samuel. If I can say the word right. Okay, about Mephibosheth. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that I should be should notice what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me I think you had some shame issues there don't you but you know what Um, he was so full of shame number one he was crippled and in those days that was looked upon as lower than the low he was from the enemy camp and here he is meeting David a man after God's own heart did you know that Mephibosheth, this name actually means shame destroyer. He carried in his name, remover of shame. Some of you never received honour when you were born. And he wants to exchange shame for honour and for you to truly know that you are his treasure. Peter blasphemed. He betrayed Jesus through and through. And after this crucifixion, he goes through this pool of shame. I'm just skipping through the story. He goes fishing on the beach. Jesus calls to him. He jumps in the water, pulls a cloak over him. Could be symbolic of covering up his shame. But Jesus singles Peter out. Lifts his head again and reinstates him to who he really is. The Bible says he's going to be the lifter of your head. Shame will make you want to hang your head. But he wants to lift it so that we can have a radiance to a very shamed world. So how do we get rid of shame? How do we get rid of it? First of all, forgive those that have caused you to be feel that way. For me, my mum and dad particularly. My sister a bit, but my mum and dad. Or including forgiving yourself. And that's sometimes the hardest thing to do. We can absolutely reject shame. He wants to roll it off you. It may not all happen at once. I can still go back into old habitual ways of thinking. Oh, that's not me. I don't need to do this. I don't need to do the other. Um, But because of the cross, we can live free from shame. Renounce it. I don't want it. Dare to come out of hiding. I don't want shame on my heart. I want love to cover my heart. Honestly, this really is a testimony to the grace of God. Andy would tell you, I really could never have ever done this. Ever. But instead of shame, he wants to give you a double portion of honour. If we renounce it, if we confess it, he will shower you with honour. He wants to put honour back on your head. And honour says, this one is of priceless 
Fallen. My treasure. That's all I have to say tonight. I'm saying, but I would like to pray for people. With, I, I, you know, I'd like us all to stand up. I'd like us all to pray this prayer. But Andrew's going to come out and, and be with me. But I, I, I want you to to know that you know if you that if you want more prayer afterwards, then there's a ministry team, isn't there? Or there's people here that will pray with you. So come on, let's. Can you repeat this after me? I think this is the best way of doing it. And um. Yeah. Okay. Heavenly Father, you are the best dad I could ever have. Today I confess my sin. I acknowledge where I have hid. And I acknowledge the fruits of shame and the fig leaves I have kept round me to stop you really finding me. Forgive me for hiding in all the ways I do. He has forgiven it given you so receive it receive that forgiveness it's quite hard to do but he has okay I renounce shame with all my heart I don't want it to cover my heart and I don't want to hide anymore I break the agreement with shame In the name of Jesus, set me free to be who I really am. I receive your identity that I am your much-loved child. Okay, put your hand on your heart. I receive your honour, Father. And I declare that you are the glory and the lifter of my head. Father, let your anointing loose in this place. Okay, grab your freedom. I loose you from the yoke of shame in the name of Jesus. And I command it to lift from your heart, your mind, your thinking, and break its hold on you, in Jesus' name. Just hold where you are. Just close your eyes. Just stay in this place. Holy Spirit, just keep doing it. Break shame off all over this room. Replace self inflicted identity with your identity. Shabbat.
let him keep moving on you. The whole creation is waiting for something. It's groaning. It's in agony. Waiting for something. It's waiting for this. For the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. So we bless you with coming out of hiding so you can be revealed so that creation can be put out of its agony and the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover this area like the waters cover the sea and as you come out as you walk free you will be a people of note people will note that you have something shining out of you and you will fulfill the scripture in Isaiah 60 I think it is where it says kings will come to the brightness of your rising sons and daughters will come from afar children will be nursed at your side as you come out of shame you take on the identity, the glorious identity of your Father in Heaven. I believe this is incredibly important for what God's going to do here in this area. That you walk free. All around you, creation is groaning. People are in pain. You know the first bit of creation that longs for the glorious appearing of the real you is your own heart. Now we want to make ourselves available to you along with the ministry team here. We will stay as long as it takes. If you want us to pray with you specifically, we'll be here. Pray with you. To help you move from shame, which I think there's been a significant shift already in the room, but into an affirming place of honour. And that becomes your default. <coughs> 